Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Before we get started with today's session, I wanted to share a really amazing resource with you. A question that everyone has, a problem that everybody deals with is, how do I focus within my prayer? How do I enjoy my salah? Well, the answer to that question, the solution to that problem is actually quite straightforward and simple. If we understand what we say within our prayer, we'll be able to focus on it, internalize it, and actually get back to enjoying our conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We created a solution to make this possible. It's called Meaningful Prayer. This is a course, a curriculum, a seminar, a workshop that I taught in over a hundred locations all across this country and even in other countries. Tens of thousands of people have taken this course and it has really turned around, transformed their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Well now, inshallah, you can take the Meaningful Prayer course online. You can take it according to your own schedule, at your own leisure. You can pace yourself. You can go back and review lessons multiple times to really be able to internalize them. Go to MeaningfulPrayer.com to sign up. Share this resource with others so that we can get back to not only just offering our prayers or performing our salah, but we can go back to experiencing a conversation and relationship with Allah. Now, to get on to today's session, inshallah, we're going to be covering the Shama'il Muhammadiyah, the prophetic personality. The following session was recorded at the Seerah Intensive. Bismillah, walhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with our study of the Shama'il Muhammadiyah, the prophetic personality. Inshallah, we're going to be uh, continuing with the chapter that we started in the previous session. Babu Majaafi, Khuluqi Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The chapter about the character of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Inshallah, we're going to be starting with hadith number seven of the chapter. Qal al Musannifu, Haddathana Ahmed ibn Abda. الضبي قال حدثنا فضيل بن عياض عن منصور عن الزهري عن عروة عن عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها قالت ما رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم منتصرا من مظلمة ظلمها قط ما لم ينتهك من محارم الله تعالى شيء فإذا انتهك من محارم الله شيء كان من أشدهم في ذلك غضبا وما خير بين أمرين إلا اختار أيسرهما ما لم يكن مأثما عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها just a translation عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها she says that I never saw the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم avenge or seek retribution or seek vengeance due to a wrong that was done to him Ever, as long as the limits set by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had not been transgressed. And if one of the limits set by Allah had been transgressed, then he was very stern and severe in dealing with it. And the Prophet never Whenever the Prophet ﷺ had an option between two different 
whenever the Prophet had two different options, he always chose the simpler or the easier of the two. So long as it would not involve the it would not involve any sin. In this particular narration, before we get started with the actual explanation of the narration, before we get started with the uh, explanation of the narration, there is a, um, a little point that I would like to mention, and that is that in the chain of narration, there is a particular notable uh, individual, and that is Fudayl ibn Iyad, rahimahullah ta'ala, who was the teacher of Imam al-Shafi'i, rahimahullah ta'ala. Nevertheless, proceeding forward, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, what she narrates about the Prophet here, is that the Prophet never sought any type of vengeance or retribution. The Prophet never sought to get someone back for anything wrong that might have been done to him. That was not from the character of the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ was very selfless in that regard. And there's many examples, dozens, hundreds of examples of that in the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ. But just to give you one tangible, very, uh, very glaring example of this, is when the Prophet ﷺ was poisoned by a woman. A Jewish woman, when they had gone for the Battle of Khaybar, and while they were there, this woman had sent food for the Prophet ﷺ, and she had poisoned the food. And the Prophet ﷺ, he um, himself did not seek any retribution for it. The Prophet ﷺ, when he realized, when he was informed by Jibreel ﷺ, that the food is poisoned to not eat it, the Prophet ﷺ immediately left the food and did not seek out the woman for any type of retribution. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ told the Sahaba to let her go. However, the entirety of the narration is that there was another person eating with the Prophet ﷺ. He had eaten some of the food. Eventually, he would succumb to the effects of the poison and he would die. And then, and only then, was the woman basically brought forth for retribution and for sentencing. But initially, when the Prophet ﷺ himself, it, it involved himself, the Prophet ﷺ told the Sahaba to release her and to let her go. And that was the character of the Prophet ﷺ. He never sought out personal uh, vengeance or retribution. He never was interested in avenging anyone for anything that was done to him personally. Otherwise, you had so many different instances and cases. Another very powerful example is that Abu Sufyan, Abu Sufyan radiallahu ta'ala anhu later on accepted Islam. Abu Sufyan was the one who led the army in the Battle of Uhud. He was also the head of the army, the commander-in-chief of the allied armies that attacked Medina in the Battle of the Trench. And specifically in the Battle of Uhud, there's a very, um, very jarring moment where the Prophet ﷺ, he himself has been attacked and been injured badly. And as the Quraysh, the Meccan army, is basically leaving their Uhud, Abu Sufyan, standing there, makes a proclamation where he basically boasts and brags about the, uh, the, 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 the losses that the Muslims have incurred. That the, um, that the, uh, the victory, basically, that the Quraysh has been able to achieve, the people that they've killed. And he's kind of bragging and boasting about this. And while doing so, 
he specifically makes a particular comment that was very jarring at that moment. He says that, that you will find that some of your dead, some of those who have been killed from amongst you, you will find that some of them have been mutilated. I did not tell them to do it, but I did not stop them from doing it either. Which basically, what he's saying is that this wasn't my idea. However, I saw it happening. I was aware of the fact that this was occurring. And I did not feel the need to prevent it. Now at that point in time, that's very scary to hear that. And of course, it would only get worse when the worst fears of the Prophet ﷺ would be realized, when they would go into the battlefield to survey the dead afterwards, and they would find the martyred, and they would find the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who had not only been assassinated, not only been killed and martyred, but he had also been mutilated. And the Prophet ﷺ no doubt remembered Abu Sufyan's proclamation. But years later, when Abu Sufyan is sitting in front of the Prophet ﷺ, begging and pleading for his life, and for the safety of his family and the safety of his people, before they entered into Mecca for the conquest of Mecca, the Prophet that's the same man Abu Sufyan sitting in front of him, begging and pleading. How easy would it have been for the Prophet ﷺ to avenge what happened to his uncle? But the Prophet ﷺ forgives him and in fact honors him by saying Abu Sufyan is a leader of his people. So anyone that goes into the home of Abu Sufyan will be safe. So much so that the woman who had actually hired the assassin that would take out Hamza Hind bin Utbah, Abu Sufyan's wife. And the Prophet ﷺ was aware of the fact that she was responsible for the death of, her, of his uncle. And not only that, she was the one who had basically mutilated and asked, you know, uh, uh, instructed them to mutilate his body. When she is in front of the Prophet ﷺ, once again, he does not seek out any type of vengeance. He is not vengeful at all, but he forgives her. And in fact, the assassin himself, Wahshi, who pulled the trigger, so to speak, when he comes before the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ doesn't hold it against him. That was not the character of the Prophet ﷺ. It mentions, however, the only time the Prophet ﷺ took some type of drastic measures against someone was when implementing the law and the command of God. When carrying out the justice that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had ordained. That was the only time when the Prophet ﷺ was harsh and, and stern and severe. And then it also goes on to mention that the Prophet ﷺ, he... Whenever the Prophet ﷺ had two options in front of him, the Prophet ﷺ always took the simpler and the easier of the two, and thereby, as long as it did not involve some type of sin. And that also was done as a mercy by the Prophet ﷺ, as our role model. That to teach us the fact that there is no... We do not have the concept, we do not have the idea of self-flagellation, that we do not torture and torment ourselves in some strange pursuit of piety and nobility. But our deen, our religion is a very practical one, a very beautiful one. One that meshes and merges and flows seamlessly throughout our lives, all aspects of our life, our everyday life. 
In this narration, the word madlama can also be pronounced as madluma or madlima, and it basically refers to something that is done to someone undeserving, whether you harm their body or you harm their dignity or you harm their wealth, that that's what it refers to. That no matter what somebody had done against the Prophet ﷺ, he would not seek retribution and vengeance. The last part of the narration where it says, malam yakun ma'thaman, as long as the Prophet ﷺ would always take the easier of the two options, so long as it did not involve some type of sin, the narration of Bukhari says, فَإِن كَانَ إِثْمًا كَانَ أَبْعَدَ النَّاسِ عَنْهُ كَانَ أَبْعَدَ النَّاسِ مِنْهُ That if a course of action did involve some type of sin, some transgression, some disobedience of God, the Prophet ﷺ would completely stay away from it. In the narration of Tabarani, it says, Malam Yakun fihi sakhatun. That the Prophet would take the easier of the two options so long, so long as it would not involve the anger and the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It would not be displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next narration, Qal al Musannifu, Haddathana ibn Abi Umar, Qala Haddathana Sufyan an Muhammad ibn al Munkadir, an Urwa an Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha qalat. استأذن رجل على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وأنا عنده فقال بئس ابن العشيرة أو أخو العشيرة ثم أذن له فألان له القول فلما خرج قلت يا رسول الله قلت ما قلت ثم ألنت له القول فقال يا عائشة إن من شر الناس من تركه الناس أو ودعه الناس اتقاء فحشه in this narration, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she says that a man sought permission to visit the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam to enter upon the Prophet sallallahu while I was with him. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, the mother of the believer, she says, I was with the Prophet sallallahu And the Prophet sallallahu to kind of notify me, and this is of, of course again his wife, this is not the Prophet sallallahu talking about this in public, but he's talking to his wife to notify her the Prophet ﷺ said that he is a very troublesome individual of his people. Then the Prophet ﷺ allowed him to enter. And the Prophet ﷺ spoke to him very graciously. When the man left, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says that I said, O Messenger of God, you said what you said, but then you were very gracious in speaking to him. The Prophet ﷺ said, O oh, Aisha, that the worst of the people are those whom the people leave and abandon. The, people, the worst of the people are those whom people avoid. Or he said that the, the, the worst of the people are those whom people avoid trying to protect themselves from their evil. Now, to explain this, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala already commented this during the translation that first and foremost the Prophet is sitting with Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. Yes, she relays this to us. She relays this to us. But what's notable is that the Prophet this is not a scenario where he's, you know, backbiting someone or talking bad about someone and being, God forbid, this is, you know, unimaginable for the Messenger of Allah that he's somehow being two-faced. That is not the case at all because it wasn't a public setting. It was his own wife and it was in his home. And a person's first responsibility is to their family, to the people that they are responsible for the safety of. So he's notifying her that I, I'm going to be very cautious in how I interact with this person and I need you similarly to be very cautious, you know, when this person is around. 
And so now, yes, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha does then share it with us. But notice the etiquette and the adab of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha that she does not name the person. Istadana rajulun. She does not name the person. So that it becomes a more general lesson. Does everyone understand that? That's very important to understand this. And within this is a lot of etiquette as well. Right? That if someone is, you know, talking to me or someone is consulting with me or somebody is, you know, conferring with me in regards to something, and that is something that arouses suspicion within, you know, my family members or that is something that could prove to be detrimental to my family members, that does not somehow absolve me of my responsibility to my family members. They are my first and foremost responsibility, Right? That if I'm welcoming someone into my home and there could be some problems involved with that, I have to be very cautious in regards to that. I am charged with the responsibility of the protection of my children and the protection of the people in my household. We have to be very sensible in this regard. We have to be very mature, very sophisticated in this regard. And we see that complexity, that sophistication that the Prophet ﷺ had. He was very nuanced. And we're supposed to pick up on these nuances. Secondly, we see then Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha that every action of the Messenger sallallahu is guidance through and through. So she wants to share that guidance with us because there's a very powerful lesson here as we're going to talk about this. But how does she balance it out in terms of sharing that guidance but at the same time not you know, committing some type of, uh, you know, not, not exposing someone that she basically keeps the scenario anonymous. Now, some of the muhaddithun and the scholars, because to understand the full benefit and the full scope, the, 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 the wisdom of the Prophet ﷺ in what he was doing and why he did what he did, many of the scholars like Imam al-Nawawi and Ibn Hajar and many others have basically been able to identify exactly who this person was. I'm not going to relay and mention it, there's no particular benefit, but the reason why the scholars researched it is, we'll talk about that in just a second, that there's some profound wisdom of the Prophet that's here. So moving forward, when, this, when the Prophet notifies Aisha that I need you to be careful, this person who's coming is a very problematic, is a very troublesome individual. Now when that person comes, the Prophet is very just general and very gracious, just very you know, uh, polite, like we say formal, He's very formal with the person. Yes, how are you? How are you doing? Very nice to meet you. Thank you for visiting. Assalamu alaikum wa alaikum salam. All right. A lot of times, you know, the, the jokingly, I kind of tell the students it's called like dhikr talk. Alhamdulillah, mashallah, inshallah, jazakallah khair, assalamu alaikum. Right? All you did was basically do dhikr, right? You don't want to get entangled. This person, this person is a sticky individual. You don't want to get entangled. All right. So the Prophet ﷺ kept it very general and very vague and then basically proceeded on forward. Now after he left Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, ever the student, she asked the Prophet ﷺ that inform me of your wisdom, O Messenger of God. You tell me that he's a very troublesome person, but when he comes, then you maintain a lot of decorum and formality with the person instead of telling him, maybe, you know, cracking down on him, hey you, you're nothing but trouble. Why are you doing this? Right? But you keep it very formal 
with the person, very general and very formal with the person, you allow him to go. And that's when the Prophet shares his profound wisdom. And he said that the worst of the people are the ones whom people avoid altogether, or the ones that people basically kind of keep a distance from, keep it very, you know, uh, formal with, in order to be able to protect themselves from the evil of that person. Now, what does that exactly mean? There's two things here. There's two layers to this that are mentioned uh, by the scholars and that other narrations also elaborate upon. The first one is obviously that if you know somebody is very, very, has the proclivity, has the tendency to be very problematic, to be very argumentative, to be very confrontational, then maintaining decorum with the person, remaining very formal with the person, keeping it very general with the person, as to not incite a situation, to not provoke the person who is looking for some provocation. You know, sometimes some people are just looking for a fight. And so to not give them any reason, not to, to not provoke them, that is wisdom the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us. And that is wisdom. There's no khayr in argumentation and confrontation for the sake of confrontation. Secondly, the other wisdom, the Prophet ﷺ also, what can be gleaned from this is that the Prophet ﷺ and the, the, the first point, excuse me, that I mentioned, that is also alluded to within some other narrations that that's what the Prophet ﷺ was doing. Now, there are some other narrations as well. Um, the narration of Bukhari, which talks about this incident, it says, That the Prophet ﷺ smiled, and the Prophet ﷺ was just very polite with him. The Prophet ﷺ smiled and was very polite with him. All right, And Ibn Hajar and some of the scholars explained that part of the reason for that was that while this, along with being very problematic or along with being very troublesome and meddlesome and very uh, confrontational, it just so happened that this person was a very influential person in his tribe. He was very influential amongst his people. And the Prophet ﷺ was very interested in being able to bring the message of Islam to the people. To his people. And the Prophet ﷺ understood that if I, you know, because somebody could also suggest, and that was part of what, you know, some of the scholars have mentioned was maybe the, the question of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, that if somebody is problematic, and we oftentimes talk about this as well, that by the Prophet ﷺ just welcoming him in and just, you know, being very nice and polite, yes, hello, thank you, thank you for visiting, goodbye, right? Just being very polite with the person very formal with the person, that might have been misconstrued or misinterpreted by some as being validation. Like the Prophet is dignifying this person, is validating this person, is validating everything the person does. And we talked about this in the Sirah class as well, that that's an oversimplification. And simple people oversimplify stuff. Right? Oversimplification shows a lack of intelligence and a lack of thought, a lack of analysis. That's a, that's a very severe oversimplification. But the Prophet ﷺ is saying that, what he's also saying is that what would have actually made this person even more problematic was if I would have basically shunned that person. Because then that would have given him that whole excuse that he was looking for to begin with. He would have said, oh you don't want to meet with me, huh? Then he would go back and basically turn it into his life's mission to not allow his people to listen to the message of Islam. So the Prophet ﷺ understood that there is a greater purpose here. This person is who he is. 
and hopefully this interaction can maybe kind of crack through the, 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 the rough exterior that this person has developed. But also at the same time, all of his people and their iman is at stake. And it so happened that the Prophet ﷺ, through this more formal interaction with this person, the Prophet ﷺ was able to gain access to the people and bring them the message of Islam and they were able to accept Islam. So this again shows that wisdom of the Prophet ﷺ. That while it would have been maybe more personally gratifying for the Prophet ﷺ in the moment, right? we always see part of the problem, the good character here that's being highlighted of the Prophet ﷺ is that it can be a little bit more immediately gratifying to be able to just kind of fulfill that urge to kind of be like, you're a bad person, now go. And that feels like a small little victory. But being able to resist that urge to seek out that more immediate gratification for a greater, more long-term benefit. And similarly, Another aspect based off of the first interpretation that the Prophet was just saying that this person's looking for a fight, so let me not give him a reason to be able to fight. That that also shows that sometimes good character isn't saying less. Good character isn't just remaining more quiet. That that's what, that's what good character is. The next generation, and I wanted to mention one particular thing that some of the scholars they mentioned. And that is that Qadi, uh, Qadi Hussein um, and Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimullahu ta'ala, they mentioned this particular aspect of the character of the Prophet that they say, Badru dunya li salah din It is to make a more short-term worldly sacrifice to be able to achieve the greater eternal good of the deen and of the hereafter. And this is demonstrated here with the Prophet ﷺ. The next narration, hadith number 9. I'll answer the questions afterwards. The next narration, hadith number 9. This is a longer narration. So what I'll do here is that I'll read the narration, the Arabic of it. And then I'll basically, uh, or rather what I'll do is I will translate it as I'm reading it. Inshallah, instead of just reading it all the way through, I'll translate it as I go along. قال المصنف حدثنا سفيان بن وكيع قال حدثنا جميع بن عمر بن عبد الرحمن العجلي قال أنبأنا رجل من بني تميم من ولد أبي هالا زوج خديجة ويكنى أبا عبد الله عن ابن لأبي هالا عن الحسن بن علي قال قال الحسين سألت أبي عن سيرة النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في جلسائه حسين رضي الله تعالى عنه he says that I asked my father Ali bin Abi Talib about the character and the behavior the conduct of the Prophet with the people that he was sitting with how the Prophet would conduct himself with the people that were around him فَقَالَ كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم دائم البشري. The Prophet وسلم, was always smiling. سَهْلَ الْخُلُقِ The Prophet وسلم, was very easy going. Very easy to get along with. لَيِّنَ الْجَانِبِ The Prophet وسلم, was very soft in his dealing with people. He was very gentle. لَيْسَ بِفَضٍ وَلَا غَلِيظٍ 
that the Prophet ﷺ was not harsh in his tone, nor was he harsh in his behavior. That he was not harsh with his words towards the people. And he was similarly, غليظ basically refers to غليظ al-qalb, hard-hearted. But how do you tell if someone's heart is hard or not? A lot of times just the body language of the person communicates that. So he was not harsh in his tone, nor was he harsh or dismissive in his physical mannerisms, in his body language towards people. وَلَا سَخَّابٍ He did not use to yell and shout. وَلَا فَحَاشٍ The Prophet ﷺ was not obscene and vulgar. وَلَا عَيَّابٍ The Prophet ﷺ was not constantly criticizing people. He was not constantly criticizing people. وَلَا مُشَاحٍ Now, the word مُشَاحٍ means that the Prophet from Shuh, that the Prophet ﷺ was not stingy. He was not miserly. وَفِي رِوَايَةٍ Another narration, um, basically, instead of the word مُشَاحٍ, uh, it mentions a similar word, وَلَا مُزَاحٍ Instead of مُشَاحٍ, some narrations mention the word مُزَاحٍ. And what that means is that the Prophet ﷺ was not excessively, just constantly, you know, making a mockery of everything. The Prophet ﷺ did not just make a mockery of every situation. يَتَغَافَلُ عَمَّا لَا If there was something the Prophet ﷺ did not prefer, he would just avoid it. What this means is, it's not يَتَغَافَلْ عَمَّا يُنْكِرُ It's not saying that he would just ignore things that were wrong. No, no, no. لَا يَشْتَهِ Things he did not prefer, that were permissible, but he maybe wasn't fond of those things. He would just not speak about them. He would just avoid them. Pretend like it wasn't even there. And again, this is demonstrated, to have a practical example, this is demonstrated in the narration where um, part of the, you know, the diets of the Arabs at that time, particularly more of the Bedouin, more of the nomadic, was that there are these large lizards in the desert, the bub, like these large uh, desert lizards, and the Arabs would eat them. And it's actually permissible. The Prophet permitted eating it. So it was being eaten near the Prophet ﷺ one time. And the Prophet ﷺ did not prefer it. And typically people of Mecca were not very fond of it. Khalid bin Walid was the one eating it. But Khalid bin Walid being a military man found himself a lot of times in those types of situations out in the desert. So this was something he had become used to and even fond of. But the Prophet ﷺ, the Quraysh typically they weren't very fond of it, Banu Hashim, his family, and he himself did not like it either. But he, it was not prohibited, it was not impermissible. So the Prophet ﷺ just pretended like it wasn't even there, just went about his business. When they offered it to him, the Prophet ﷺ said, no, I don't prefer it, and just went on eating. Now why is that particularly notable? Well, that's notable, why? Because how do we a lot of times behave if somebody's consuming something that we're not particularly fond of? Ew. Oh my God. That's gross, right? A lot of the youngins whose folks might be like immigrants and things like that, right? Goat brain, tongues, intestine, liver, kidney, right? 
I saw the whole gambit, right? Halal, don't say anything, all right? It's risk, it's food from Allah. But imagine now you come and you sit down and your mom or your dad or somebody else is sitting there eating something. You're like, oh, what are you having? I'm having goat brain. <laughs> you have a seizure, <laughs> right? You flip out. You, you're, you act as if you just like witnessed a murder. Like yelling and screaming, there's tears and, right? No, just, you don't like it. It's not haram. Be quiet, right? If he didn't prefer something, just mind his own business. And then he goes on, it says, وَلَا يُؤْيِسُ مِنْهُ رَاجِهِ وَلَا يُؤْيِسُ مِنْهُ رَاجِهِ What this refers to is that the Prophet wasallam, he did not disheartened people. And now there's a little bit of a, this is going to be a bit difficult to explain because it's going to involve some grammatical analysis. So it's going to get a little nerdy here for a second, a little technical. So stay with me. He would not dishearten. Minhu from it. Rajihi, someone who liked it. So if somebody was eating something, that the Prophet ﷺ himself he did not like, and he would just avoid it. But again, see, body language is very important here. Right? That if you're like, oh, I'm not going to say anything. But then if you start, right? Right? Start acting funny, you're still basically disrespecting that person. So the Prophet ﷺ physically also would not behave in such a way where it would dishearten the person who did like it. And another translation of this can be done in this way, because it's an issue of pronouns. What does the pronoun go to? He would not dishearten. Minhu, the who goes to the Prophet He would not dishearten from him somebody who was wanting to be close to the Prophet So both ways. That if the Prophet would avoid something that he himself did not maybe like or did not prefer, and his body language at the same time would not make the person kind of feel like the Prophet somehow was now disapproving of that person. So he would not behave in a way where that person would feel awkward just continuing to eat it. Nor would the Prophet act in such a way where the person would feel like the Prophet hates me now. And they would feel embarrassed in front of him. Neither one. That was the character of the Prophet And in fact, there's another narration that mentions that the Prophet never, ever, ever, ever criticized any type of food. Never criticized anything. Which basically means that the Prophet ﷺ, while not disheartening the person, the Prophet ﷺ would also... Yes, the Prophet ﷺ would also um, not... Um, the Prophet ﷺ would also not insult the person. 
would not basically deride the person. Would not, you know, um, this basically refers to to understand it a little bit better. It basically makes reference to maybe being a little indirect or passive aggressive as we call it. He would also not indirectly say anything that would humiliate the person. Then it goes on to mention that There were three things the Prophet completely avoided, that he completely gave up. Number one, Al-Mira'i. Al-Mira'i. Mira basically refers to confrontation, argumentation. Al-Jidal. Even if he could have won the argument. Even when he could have won the argument. Now again, this is not to be confused with the fact that the Prophet ﷺ would not speak the truth. But this is saying two, one of two things. Number one, the only way to speak the truth is not to get into a confrontation and to be argumentative. You can gently, politely, kindly, graciously state the truth. And secondly, sometimes it's not a matter of the truth and falsehood. It's not good and bad and evil. It's just somebody's doing things a certain way, or somebody has a particular opinion, and it's not necessarily wrong. You maybe have a better opinion on something, a better. Their opinion is okay, is acceptable, but you have a better opinion on something. That the Prophet ﷺ would not get into an argument with that person, just to be able to win the argument and establish his superiority over that person. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ teaches us in an authentic narration, مَنْ تَرَكَ الْمِرَاءَ وَهُوَ مُحِقٌ بَنَ اللَّهُ لَهُ بَيْتًا فِي رَبَضِ الْجَنَّةِ That someone who gives up an argument, even though they could win the argument, God will build a palace for them in the innermost sanct- sanctum of paradise, in the most central location of paradise. So the Prophet ﷺ never engaged in this type of frivolous argumentation. Al-Mira'a. Number two is al-ikthar. Al-ikthar. Ikthar means excessive, excessiveness. The Prophet ﷺ was not indulged, he did not indulge for the sake of indulgence. He did not just excessively indulge in things. That was not the character of the Prophet. ﷺ. Some other narrations, instead of the word ikthar, they mentioned the word ikbar. And ikbar means to exert your superiority over people. Look, it's an established fact the Prophet ﷺ was superior to every human being. Sayyidul Awalina wal Akhirin, Imamul Anbiya'i wal Mursaleen, Habibu Rabbil Alameen. He is. But he never, ever exerted that superiority over people. Never. We see from the way he interacts with people, all the narrations that we've seen. Number three, وَمَا لَا يَعْنِيهِ As we talked about previously, that the Prophet ﷺ would not indulge. He completely gave up, you know, getting involved in things that did not concern him. And the Prophet ﷺ would advise people to give up three things. Which obviously means that he himself did not indulge in these three things either. And the first three things are three things that he gave up, he never, in, he never engaged in. And he also advised us not to engage in them. The next three things he advised us not to engage in them. Which obviously means he did not engage in them either. This is just the eloquence of Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu. That he kind of changes the tone of the conversation so it does not become monotonous. It doesn't just become a long list of things and people stop paying attention. So he switches up the tone. Three things he made people give up. كَانَ لَا أَحَدًا that he would not criticize people. He would not pick on people. وَلَا يَعِبُهُ He would not find faults in people. 
And he would not go and dig into people's personal affairs. He would not invade the privacy of people. That is obviously physically, but even in terms of just conversations and things like that. As the Quran prohibits us not to spy on people. Not to, not to eavesdrop on people. And then it says, The Prophet ﷺ, the only things that he would say were things that he hoped to be rewarded for. Meaning the, it goes back to that other narration that we saw as well, that we had talked about, يسمت, that the Prophet ﷺ would only speak good. He would only speak good. Things that would have a good end and a good reward to them. And then it talks about how the people around respected the Prophet ﷺ. And from this on point forward, just to give you a little bit of a, uh, uh, a note, to kind of, when you read this portion, when we go through this portion, this teaches us two things. Number one, it shows us how much the Sahaba respected the Prophet ﷺ, how beloved he was to the companions, to the people around him. And number two, it also shows us what the decorum and the respect with the Messenger of Allah should be, needs to be. How is that relevant to us? That while we physically are not sitting with the Prophet but we do interact with the words of the Prophet the sunnah of the Prophet the hadith of the Prophet the seerah, the shama'il of the Prophet And so whenever we interact with the sunnah, we should similarly conduct ourselves with the utmost respect. The utmost respect. وَإِذَا تَكَلَّمَ أَطْرَقَ جُلَسَاؤُهُ كَأَنَّمَا عَلَى رُؤُوسِهِمْ أَطَّيْرُ When the Prophet ﷺ would speak, all the companions and the messengers, now أَطْرَقَ جُلَسَاؤُهُ to some extent can refer to lowering of the head. But that does not mean, the explanation in some of the other more detailed narrations, they explained this to us, that it, did, it does not mean that they would just kind of like lower their head and stare at the ground. But they would look at him, they would listen to him. But more so lowering of the head is an expression in Arabic, what that means is that they would settle into their spot and they would not move from there. That they would remain quiet. It was as if there were birds perched on their heads. Imagine if a bird came and just sat on your head. You wouldn't move. You wouldn't speak. No sudden movements. No, no sounds. Otherwise the bird will just fly away. And so the Prophet ﷺ, when he spoke, the Sahaba would be very still and quiet and listen very attentively. And again, to make this relevant, we of course understand that the Sahaba profoundly respected and adored the Prophet ﷺ. And they are our role models in that regard. But in terms of it being a relevant teaching for us, how do we interact with the mention of the Prophet ﷺ, the wisdom of the Prophet ﷺ, the guidance, the, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And I talked about how we should be very, very respectful and have etiquette that this is where we find that the great scholars of the past who benefited greatly from the legacy of the Prophet ﷺ, Imam Bukhari ta'ala, his sahih is something we read and benefit from till today. Before every single, there are about 6,000 plus narrations in his sahih. 
before every single, before writing down a, a, a single narration, for every single narration that he wrote down, he would go, he would perform wudu, he would pray two rakahs, he would make dua and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept this from him, and then he would write down one narration. That was the etiquette they had. Famous stories about Imam Malik rahimahullahu ta'ala that Imam Malik would have like special, very formal clothing. Like, like putting on a suit, imagine. Right? He would like put on a suit. He would put on very nice, this, this very nice uh, thobe, this very nice garments that he had. And he would put that on and he would apply some scent and perfume and make wudu. And then he would go and he would sit in the masjid. And he would sit in a way, he, was, he would give dars in the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ. He would sit where the Prophet ﷺ, his resting place would be to his right. And he would teach the hadith for hours. He would not lean against anything while doing so. And when he would come to the mention of the Prophet ﷺ, قال النبي ﷺ, he would, with his hand, gesture towards the resting place of the Prophet ﷺ. And he would say, قال صاحب هذا القبر. that the dignified messenger who rests here, he said. And that famous story about Imam Malik getting bitten by something and not moving. And he was basically breaking into a sweat because of the pain. And when he was done, he asked someone to look and check and he found, they found that there was something on his back that was biting him. That why didn't you just get up and move or tell? He said, because I was in the middle of teaching hadith. There were teachers that we had that we benefited from, that, that we saw this uh, same um, respect and character with as well. One particular senior scholar of hadith, Sheikh Salimullah Khan, he's still alive. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect him and preserve him. Hafizahullah ta'ala. He's well into his 90s. And he teaches the Sahih of Imam Bukhari. He's been teaching it for over 50 years. And he still comes and sits and he teaches for two hours a day. And when he sits, he sits in the tashahud position because they, they teach sitting on the ground. He sits in the tashahud position for two hours and he will not move. He will not move. Sit still, teaching. This was the, the respect they had when interacting with the sunnah of the Prophet Following that example of the companions. Radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in. So it says, فَإِذَا سَكَتَ تَكَلَّمُوا They would not speak until he became quiet. So when he finished talking, then they would speak. لَا يَتَنَازَعُونَ عِنْدَهُ الْحَدِيثَ And they would not start shouting over each other to start talking. Talk over one another. But they would basically defer to one another, being respectful in his presence. And one person would speak at a time. وَمَنْ تَكَلَّمَ عِنْدَهُ أَنْصَتُ لَهُ حَتَّى يَفْرُغَ حَتَّى يَفْرُغَ حَدِيثُهُمْ عِنْدَهُ حَدِيثُ أَوَّلِهِمْ And when one person would speak, the rest would remain quiet until that person was done speaking. And the way that they would speak in front of him was that they would speak one after another after another. And they would almost kind of like take turns speaking. Whoever had questions, they would basically take their turns talking. That decorum and that respect. Now going back to the Prophet ﷺ, it says, يَضْحَكُ مِمَّا مِنْهُ When they laughed, he would laugh along with them. We, the first narration that we saw. If they enjoyed a light-hearted moment, he would enjoy that light-hearted moment with them. 
And they were, when they were enamored or they would be kind of surprised by something, he would similarly, you know, join into the conversation with them, be surprised along with them. Now the Sahaba had learned this respect and this decorum around the Prophet ﷺ by being a part of that community, by being in his company. But what would happen when somebody would come in from outside? Somebody who wasn't from Medina, somebody who was not from the community. That person wouldn't know any better. So it says, And he would be very patient with a stranger in terms of their you know, abrasiveness or in terms of their lack of decorum when they spoke and they asked questions. Because somebody from the outside wouldn't know the proper decorum with the Prophet And then this specifically makes mention, the reason why it says Jafwa, somebody would be a little bit more abrasive in their speech and their questioning. This particularly is making reference to the Bedouins. Because the Bedouin country folk, they were a little bit more kind of, you know, just a little bit more straightforward. They would be a little bit more what seemed like informal with their speech. But particularly with the Bedouin of the Arabs, they would almost sound a bit harsh. They would sound a bit harsh when they spoke. And there's lots of examples of this. This Bedouin walks into the Masjid of the Prophet Ya Muhammad! Dhimam ibn Thalaba, we'll be reading about his narration. Dhimam ibn Thalaba walks into the Masjid of the Prophet. This giant man rides in from out of town. Obviously, a Bedouin has all the look and the feel of it. And he walks into the Masjid. Ya Muhammad! And the Sahaba are like, Who is this guy? Ya Muhammad. Right? But again, the Prophet would be, you know, in one narration, it even says the Prophet responds to him. Similarly, he goes, what do you want? And the man's like, oh, he understands me. He speaks my language, right? So he speaks hillbilly, right? So he, he just, he was like, okay. And that was the Prophet trying to make these people comfortable. All right? And there's another narration, very kind of serious, that's mentioned by Imam al-Bayhaqi, narrated by Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu ta'ala anhu that a man by the name of Dhuwal Dhu al-Khuwaisira Dhul Khuwaisira al-Tamimi Dhul Khuwaisira al-Tamimi he came to visit the Prophet sallallahu and he walks in and says Ya Rasulullah I'dil says O Messenger of God listen be fair okay be fair and the Prophet sallallahu says Wayhaq are you crazy? Because again, right? He's talking to him the way he does. Hey, be fair. He says, you crazy? Wayhak, have you lost your mind? He says, if, I'm not, if I won't be fair, then who can be fair? If I'm not fair, then who's fair? Do you know that if I was not fair, I'd be ruined? I'd be ruined. I'd be, I'd be destroyed. So again, he's just talking to him the way he talks. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, Ya Rasulullah, idhan li adrib unuqahu. O Messenger of God, allow me, I'd like to murder him. <laughs> Please grant me permission to murder this man. Right? Because again, he walks in and points at the Prophet, Hey, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you, but you got to be fair. 
And the Prophet was like, what do you mean be fair? If I'm not fair, then who's fair? And Umar radiallahu ta'ala was like, why are you indulging him? Let me murder him, right? And the Prophet says, Dahu. No, 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 leave him, leave him. Leave him. This is how they talk. They don't know any better. This is how they talk. So that was a messenger sallallahu alayhi He'd be very patient with these outsiders in terms of how they spoke and how they asked questions. But this is where it gets interesting. But the sahaba would kind of, they were fascinated by these moments. Because after a while, they were just so respectful and cautious and careful, particularly towards the end of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, that they would be very cautious and careful around the Prophet ﷺ. And they knew these Bedouins would come in and you know, they, they, they would get to see a different side of the Prophet ﷺ. Where he'd be like, yeah, hey, what do you want? Right? And sometimes they would ask like really, really kind of silly questions. I gave you that example where the Bedouin comes in and he says, Oh, Messenger of God. Will there be grapes in paradise? <laughs> and the Prophet ﷺ said, absolutely, there'll be gra- one grape will be the size of your head. <laughs> and the Prophet and then the man says, Ashadu la ilaha illallah wa That was it. That's what I've been holding out for. Giant grapes. Right? And he accepted Islam. So they would get to, you know, kind of hear these interactions and they would enjoy it, obviously. They love the Prophet So they would enjoy it. So, so much so that the companions would actually, and they found a Bedouin kind of rode into Medina and they'd be like, oh, are you a Bedouin? And he'd be like, yeah, why? And he'd be like, come on, let's go see the Prophet Let's go. They get to Jibuno. They bring them to the Prophet Don't you want to ask him some questions? Ask him some questions, right? So that, that shows you again just the, the way the Prophet was with the people. And the Prophet taught the companions. Aside from all the other character that we see of the Prophet here, all the other character we see of the Prophet here, look at this how he summarizes it. The Prophet would say, إِذَا رَأَيْتُمْ طَالِبَ حَاجَةٍ يَطْلُبُهَا فَأَرْفِدُوهُ the Prophet ﷺ taught the Sahaba that whenever you see someone in need, take care of them. Whenever you see someone in need, relieve their need. Take care of them. Give them what they need. Arfidu, Remove their need. The Prophet ﷺ would not accept praise unless it was deserved. Meaning, if the Prophet ﷺ gave someone something and the person thanked the Prophet ﷺ, oh, Jazakallah khair, that's very kind of you. That's fine. That's just polite. And he was teaching people to be polite. But if somebody came and just wanted to start, you know, lavishing praise upon the Prophet ﷺ excessively, the Prophet ﷺ did not like that. He would tell the person, stop. That's not good. وَلَا يَقْتَوْ عَلَىٰ أَحَدٍ حَدِيثَهُ the Prophet ﷺ would not cut people off. He would not interrupt people when they spoke. He would not talk over people. Hatta Unless and until the person would cross a line. What does that mean, cross a line? If a person started to lie. 
If a person started to say something disrespectful, if a person started to blaspheme, if a person started to backbite about somebody, then the Prophet would say, stop, please. Right? And it says, Either the Prophet would stop the person and tell them, don't do that. Or if the person would not listen, or the Prophet just did not have the relationship with that person to be able to tell them to stop, the Prophet would excuse himself. He would say, excuse me, I have to go. And that is why from this, a lot of times we hear that when it comes to backbiting and things like that, that's what the scholars advise. That if you, you yourself should never backbite, but if you are somewhere where someone else is engaging in some type of, you know, talking ill of someone, someone is backbiting someone, then in that situation, what is basically recommended is if you have the relationship with the person where you can basically say, you know what, let's not talk about this. We shouldn't talk about this. Then you do so, but if you are not in the position to be able to do so, then excusing yourself is the course of action. Excuse me, I have to go. And that's what we learn from the character of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And again, I want to emphasize this narration. Such a beautiful, extensive narration is narrated by Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu laying out the beautiful character of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The next narration, hadith number 10. قال المصنف حدثنا محمد بن بشار قال حدثنا عبد الرحمن بن مهدي قال حدثنا سفيان عن محمد بن المنكدر قال سمعت جابر بن عبد الله رضي الله تعالى عنه يقول ما سئل رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم شيئا قط فقال لا جابر بن عبد الله رضي الله تعالى عنه says that the prophet sallallahu never was never asked for something ever and he responded by simply saying no. Now, two things I'd like to mention about this. It's pretty straightforward and to the point, but two things I'd like to mention. Number one <clears throat> is the scenario where the Prophet ﷺ would have something. He would have whatever the person was asking for. Again, what doesn't even need to be clarified, obviously, is the person is not asking for something impermissible. Haram. Because that can't even be entertained. Like the young man who comes to the Prophet and basically is asking for permission to go and commit fornication. To go and commit a sin. And the Prophet says, he explains it to him. He, 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 he helps the young man understand why that is wrong and that, that cannot be done. He talks to the person. Another time when somebody comes to the Prophet and starts speaking about vengeance and murdering and killing someone, the Prophet tells the person, no, you cannot do that. So that obviously can't even be entertained. That's obvious. That should not even be uh, a source of you know, contention or confusion. But if someone's asking for something permissible, someone's asking for some, some, some water, and the Prophet has water present, then the Prophet would never turn down the person. He'd give it to the person. Well, what if that's the only water the Prophet has? He would give it to the person. That's why Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, this famous narration, where it says that for an entire month, the Prophet survived off of a pouch, a small pouch of dates that Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu used to hide in his clothes. Like he would stash inside of his clothes, this pouch of dates. 
And the reason why he would have to hide it from the sight of the Prophet ﷺ. Finally, in the evening, when the Prophet ﷺ would retire for the day, and at that time you could hear the stomach of the Prophet ﷺ grumbling due to hunger. You could see that he, he felt physically weak. That Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu would take out, a, take out the pouch, take out a few dates, and then serve it to the Prophet But the reason why he would stash the pouch, he would hide the pouch, because if the Prophet saw it, he'd be like, give it to somebody. If somebody came asking for some food, he'd be like, give it to them. You, you have some dates. I saw you. I saw you. Give it to him. Right? That's who the Prophet was. He always put others' needs before his own. And there's a beautiful narration where the Sahaba say that it was winter time and it was a particularly bitter winter. Very harsh. And the Prophet ﷺ did not have like a shawl. Something to kind of keep him warm. And so the, they had seen the Prophet ﷺ even kind of, you know, physically kind of shaking, shivering, feeling the cold. And their situation was similar. There was a tribe that accepted Islam. And the leader of the tribe sent a shawl, a very warm shawl for the Prophet And the narration says that the shawl was black. Jet black. Beautiful. And the appearance of the Prophet which we studied in the earlier parts of the Shama'il, which you can find the recordings for, when it describes the appearance of the Prophet it mentions about how his hair was, very, was also jet black. And so they say that when the Prophet ﷺ took out the shawl and he wrapped it around himself, they said he was so striking. They say that was the most beautiful thing we had ever seen in our entire lives. He was breathtaking when he put on that black shawl. Just took your breath away. We couldn't stop staring. And we were just sitting there admiring him like, wow. Subhanallah. God has created something this beautiful in this world. And while he was sitting there and we were admiring, just been, and we kind of saw that, you know, when you put something warm on and you've been feeling cold, your shoulders just kind of sink just a little. We kind of saw him relax just a little. And we felt good as well. Alhamdulillah. A man comes says, O Messenger of God, I don't have a shawl. I've been needing a shawl for some time. The second he said that, like, we felt like our hearts just sunk. Because we knew what was coming. The Prophet ﷺ took off the shawl, folded it up, and he said, here you go. It's for you. And the man took the shawl. When they were outside the masjid, when they were kind of leaving, a few people were just kind of looking at him like, <laughs> this guy, this guy. Why, why, would you, why would you ask him for a shawl? What, do you, what did you think he was going to do? And the man kind of felt, you know, a little bad. Everyone, he felt like everybody was kind of picking on him. And he said, don't misunderstand me. I understand that, but somebody will give the Prophet ﷺ something. I asked for the shawl because it was, he wore it, it had touched his body, his blessed self. 
And I requested it, not to just wear it or whatever. I, I requested it so that I can write in my wasiyah that when I die, I be shrouded in the shawl of the Prophet ﷺ. And the Sahaba say we felt really bad because we found out a few days later that he died and he was in fact shrouded in the shawl of the Prophet ﷺ. That was the generosity of the Prophet ﷺ. That's one. Number two is, but what about if the Prophet ﷺ did not have something? Somebody comes and requests water, but he doesn't have water to give them. He doesn't have water. There's another narration we're going to read up ahead, which shows a little different course of action, where if he just did not have any way to give somebody something, you have to say, I'm sorry. But the Prophet, that's exactly it. The Prophet ﷺ would not say no. He would say, I'm sorry. The Prophet would excuse himself. Like in the Quran, it's mentioned in Surah At-Tawbah when some of the companions who wanted to join him on the campaign of Tabuk. And Tabuk was very far. So everyone needed some transportation and supplies and food and things like that. And there were some poor Sahaba who were physically able who wanted to join him on the campaign. But they did not have the means to be able to go. And they came to the Prophet ﷺ that they came to the Prophet ﷺ so that he could maybe sponsor them. He maybe had some extra transportation and extra provisions and supplies to provide for them. And the Prophet ﷺ did not have any extra supplies to be able to provide for them. So he had to excuse himself. But well, what did he say? He said, لا أجد ما أحملكم عليه. I do not find extra supplies to be able to provide you with. He would explain himself to somebody. Do you understand the scenario? Someone is asking him for something. He is the messenger of God. He does not have anything to give. And he's sitting there excusing himself to the person who was asking him for something that he's not obligated to give to begin with. You see the generosity of the soul and the spirit of the Prophet That's what we're lacking today. The next narration, قال المصنف حدثنا عبد الله بن عمران أبو القاسم القرشي المكي قال حدثنا إبراهيم بن سعد عن ابن شهاب عن عبيد الله عن ابن عباس رضي الله تعالى عنهما قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أجود الناس بالخير وكان أجود ما يكون في شهر رمضان حتى ينسلخ فيأتيه جبريل فيعرض عليه القرآن فإذا لقيه جبريل كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أجود بالخير من الريح المرسلة عبد الله بن عباس رضي الله تعالى عنهما he narrates that the Prophet of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم was the most generous of people when it came to good and he was at his own most generous during the month of Ramadan which is like a level that's like unfathomable to us. He was already the most generous human being that ever lived. And then somehow he was even more generous than he normally was during the month of Ramadan. Like a whole nother level. That's, that's just incompre- uh, you know, uh, incomprehensible to us. Until the month would conclude, until the month would end. And then it goes on to mention that Jibreel would come to him during the month of Ramadan. And they would ba- basically, he would recite the Qur'an. 
that Jibreel would recite it to him and he would recite the Quran to Jibreel. فَإِذَا لَقِيَهُ جِبْرِيلُ And when Jibreel would be in the company of the Prophet the Prophet was more generous and good than even the clouds and the wind that brings the rain. Think about the wind and the clouds that move in before it rains. Like it's a symbol in the Arabic language, Darbul Mathal, it was like an example of generosity. Because then the rain would come through and pour and you know, nourish the land and nourish the people and the animals and the, 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 the earth and the vegetation and so on and so forth. That the Prophet ﷺ would be even more generous than even that wind and those clouds that came carrying the rain. And again, this narration, um, it's pretty straightforward. But there's a very beautiful fa'ida. Imam al-Bajuri, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions this beautiful reflection. He says, وَفِي هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ طَلَبُوا إِكْثَارِ الْجُودِ فِي رَمَضَانِ That this narration teaches us that we should find a way to be even, even the most generous person should find a way to be even more generous during the month of Ramadan. We have to increase our giving. We have to increase our charity. We have to increase our generosity during the month of Ramadan. خصوصاً عند ملاقات الصالحين Particularly when in the company of righteous and pious people. وَمُدَارَسَةِ Quran, And this also teaches us that if you are a student of knowledge, studying the deen of Allah, studying the Quran, then you should learn to be generous. That's part of the etiquette of studying the book of Allah is to give charity, to be generous, to give sadaqah. And we always found that our teachers of the Qur'an were the most generous of people. They were always the most generous of people. They just gave and gave and gave and gave and gave. Because they understood this, this, this element, that this etiquette from the Prophet ﷺ, that if you truly want to benefit from the knowledge of the Qur'an, you must give. You must be generous. And it also mentions, وَفِيهِ أَنَّ صُحْبَةَ الصَّالِحِينَ تُؤَثِّرُ فِي دِينِ الرَّجُلِ that keeping company with the pious and the righteous encourages you and inspires you to better yourself in your own deen. Hatta qalu, so much so that the scholars and the pious people of the past, they used to say, لِقَاءُ أَهْلِ الْخَيْرِ عُمَارَةُ الْقُلُوبِ That meeting and sitting with good people is a way to build the heart. A way to build your inner capacity, which is what we've been talking about is to seek out and to find and to seek out the company of the pious and the righteous. And try to be in their company as much as possible. The next narration. قَالَ الْمُصَنِّفُ حَدَّثَنَا قُتَيْبَةُ بْنُ سَعِيدٍ قَالَ أَخْبَرَنَا جَعْفَرُ بْنُ سُلَيْمَانَ عَنْ ثَابِتٍ عَنْ أَنَسِ بْنِ مَالِكٍ رضي الله تعالى عنه قال كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يدخر شيئا لغدٍ Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu he narrates and he says that the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam would never store anything for the next day. He would never store anything for the next day. That that was just the character of the Prophet sallallahu And what that basically means is that two things. Obviously if somebody came to ask for something he wouldn't kind of be like well I do have something to give but I might need it. Which admittedly could be fair. Could be okay. It's permissible for me to kind of say that, 
well, I don't need to drink any water right now, but this is all the water that I have. I obviously might need some water in the morning. And so, right, it'd be okay. But the Prophet didn't do that. And number two, this is the bigger thing. Even if someone did not come to ask, the Prophet made it his responsibility to know who needed. He made it his responsibility to know who was in need. There's that very beautiful narration. It gets me every single time. Where Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu talks about himself, tells his story and he says that I hadn't eaten for days. Everyone in Medina was struggling, but I hadn't eaten for days. And so one day just in the evening after Aisha, I just couldn't take it anymore. So I sat there by the door of the masjid. Hoping that somebody on their way out might invite me home. And Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu came. I said salam to him. He said, wa alaykum salam And he kept walking. Because he probably didn't have anything at home either. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu came. I said, salam alaykum Umar. He said, wa alaykum salam And he kept walking. Because he didn't have anything at home either. Until the Prophet was the last one to leave and he came and he saw me sitting there at the door and he just stopped and he just smiled at me. He understood. And he asked me, he said, you're hungry, aren't you? I said, yes, O Messenger of God, I'm hungry. And the Prophet said, come home with me. And he took him home and he asked his wife, do we have anything? And she said, somebody just sent a bowl of milk. And as the narration goes, he tells Abu Huraira, go get the rest of everybody in the masjid, the Ashabu Sufa, the people who don't have anything to eat. And he says, I felt my, my, my heart just sunk in that moment. Because, that he's, if I bring everyone, then he's going to tell me to serve everyone, and the one who serves is the one who eats last. And it's a bowl of milk, and there's like 70 dudes in the masjid. But it was the miracle of the Prophet ﷺ. He said, Bismillah, and he passed the bowl, and he said, pass it around. And everyone drank from it to their fill until it came back around, and the bowl was still filled. And the Prophet told me, now it's just the two of us. He said, drink. And I drank from the bowl. And then he said, drink some more, and I drank some more. And he said, drink some more, and I drank some more. And then he said, drink some more. And I said, there's nowhere that the milk can go now. It's like, right. Right? I can't. And the bowl was still full, and then the Prophet ﷺ took it and he drank the milk. But that was the Prophet ﷺ. He made it his responsibility, his job to know who needed. And so if he had something left over, he would find somebody who needed and he would give to them. But this, I will mention one thing. This does not contradict, however, this was in regards to himself. He, this is how he would do it for himself. But when it came to his family, he was very responsible with his family. Hadith Bukhari says, وَيَحْبِسُ لِأَهْلِهِ قُوتَ سَنَتِهِمْ That the Prophet ﷺ always made sure that there was a year's worth of allowance that was set aside for the family. Because there were, there were women and children involved. So he wasn't going to starve them. So he always made sure that the allowance was there for the family. But he himself, whatever he was going to eat for that day, 
he'd just eat a little bit as much as was needed and give the rest away, share with everyone else. The next narration, I know what time it is. قال المصنف حدثنا هارون بن موسى ابن أبي علقمة المدني مديني قال حدثني أبي عن هشام بن سعد عن زيد بن أسلم عن أبيه عن عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله تعالى عنه أن رجلا جاء إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فسأله أن يعطيه فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ما عندي شيء ولكن ابتاع علي فإذا جاءني شيء قضيته فقال عمر يا رسول الله قد أعطيته I need everyone to look in if you're reading along with the text it says قد أعطيته change it to قد أعطيته from tuhu that dhamma on the ta change it to a fatha change the page to a zabr قد أعطيته and then also where it says fama there's a shadda on the meme Scratch out that shadda, the little W. Scratch that out. On the meme. Fama. Fama kallafaka Allahu ma la taqdiru alayhi. Qala Umar, ya Rasulullah, qad a'ataytahu. Fama kallafaka Allahu ma la taqdiru alayhi. Fakariha an-nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qawla Umar. Fakala rajulu min al-ansari, ya Rasulullah, anfiq. ولا تخف من ذي من ذي العرش إقلالا فتبسم رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وعرف في وجهه البشرة لقول الأنصاري وعرف في وجهه البشر لقول الأنصاري ثم قال بهذا أمرت. In this narration, Umar bin Khattab radiyallahu ta'ala anhu narrates that a man came to the Prophet sallallahu and asked the Prophet sallallahu to give him something. The Prophet said, I do not have anything at the moment. I am literally empty-handed at the moment. But go to the marketplace, get whatever it is that you need to get from, from uh, uh, you know, someone selling. Like if you need some food, go to the, to, the, to the person selling the food and purchase whatever food is needed and put it on my tab. Basically tell them that I'll pay for it. Ibta'aliyya. And when I do have some money, then I will pay that person back. I'll pay off the debt. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu interjected and he said, O Messenger of God, you have given to this person previously. You've given to him before. And God has not obligated you to do that which you do not have the capacity. You can't give away what you do not have. He's not lecturing the Prophet. It's out of mercy. He's basically saying, Oh Messenger of Allah, why do you you know why do you take on such burden? The Prophet very much disliked what Umar said. He didn't like what Umar said. So a man from amongst the Ansar who was there, he said, Oh Messenger of God, spend, give, and do not fear that Allah will leave you in deprivation. Meaning that what we have learned from you, O Messenger of God, is that if we are spending, if we are giving charitably, then we give without any fear of poverty, of deprivation. And the Prophet ﷺ smiled because he realized he's been, this guy's been paying attention. 
He's learning. The Prophet smiled and we could recognize, you could recognize in the face of the Prophet that he was so happy to hear what this man had learned from the Prophet And then the Prophet said, this is what I've been commanded to do. This is my job. I have to give even when I don't have anything to give. And basically that's the explanation here. Ibta'a basically means ishtara, ashtari alayya, just buy something and just tell them I'll pay them back. But the real, the explanation here is that Umar anhu, God forbid, was not lecturing the Prophet he was just, it was mercy. O Messenger of Allah, why do you extend yourself so much? We feel bad. You take on everyone's burden. But the Prophet didn't like it when Umar said that. He said, no, 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 you should know better by now. It's my job. To carry everyone. That's my job. And that's why when that Ansari says, O oh, Messenger of God, Allah will never forsake you. You will keep on giving even when you don't have to give and Allah will still provide for you even when there seems to be no way. That's when the Prophet smiled and he got happy because he said, that's what I've been trying to teach you all. umirtu, And this is my job. Let me answer afterwards. Qala al-Musannifu, the next narration. Haddathana Ali ibn Hujrin. Qala akhbarana, or excuse me, before I move on to the next narration, what I wanted to mention was two things that supplement that same idea in hadith number 13. The ayah of the Qur'an, where Allah says, وَمَا أَنْفَقْتُمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَهُوَ يُخْلِفُهُ وَاللَّهُ خَيْرُ رَازِقِينَ Whenever you spend something, like in good and charity, Allah will always give it back to you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the best of sustainers. And then there's a hadith in Sahih Muslim by Abu Hurairah radiallahu ta'ala anhu where the Prophet said, Ma naqasat sadaqatun min malin. Charity will never decrease a person's wealth. It will never decrease a person's wealth. The next narration, قال المصنف حدثنا علي بن حجر قال أخبرنا شريك عن عبد الله بن محمد بن عاقيل عن الربيع بنت معوذ بن عفراء رضي الله تعالى عنهما قالت أتيت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بقناع من رطب وأجر زعب فأعطاني ملء كفه حليا وذهبا دا ربيع رضي الله تعالى عنها she says that I brought to the Prophet ﷺ, I came to the Prophet ﷺ with, I brought the Prophet ﷺ a tray that had some uh, fresh dates. Rutab. The fresh dates, not the dried ones, but the fresh ones. I bought the Prophet ﷺ fresh dates. And also, there were these small pieces of cucumber that were in the tray as well. Because the Prophet used to like eating those two things together. So I brought him these fresh dates and these cucumbers, she says. And the Prophet was so grateful. And just to teach us again that etiquette, that akhlaq. That the Prophet when I brought this to him, he had recently received some gold. Now the narration doesn't mention whether this gold had come through maybe some spoils of war or it maybe had been sent to him as a gift. Regardless, the Prophet ﷺ, the gold that he had received, he took that gold and he gave it to me and he said, you brought me this gift, here's a gift for you. She's thinking, I brought him dates and he's giving me gold. The generosity of the Prophet 
He didn't keep score. He didn't keep score. And then, in the last narration of this chapter, قال المصنف حدثنا علي بن خشرم وغير واحد قالوا حدثنا عيسى بن يونس عن هشام بن عروة عن أبيه عن عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يقبل الهدية ويثيب عليها. That Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says in this narration that the Prophet would receive, would accept gifts. This is also a part of akhlaq, to be gracious. He would accept gifts. But then he would also give something back in gift as well. That he would receive people's gifts, he would accept them very graciously no matter how small they were. That's why another narration says, The Prophet said, if somebody brought me the bone of an animal as a gift, I would accept it very graciously. Thank you, thank you. Jazakallahu khairan. May Allah bless you. No matter how small or humble the gift may have been, he would always receive it and he would gift something back. That was the sunnah of the Prophet That was the character of the Prophet there's one little side point. The main lesson here, again, it shows the character of the Prophet No matter how small or humble the gift, he would graciously accept it, honor the person who gave it to him, but then would also gift something back to the person. But a little bit of a side point that I felt was very relevant to be brought up today because there are dynamics and elements in our culture a lot of times that are unhealthy. Imam Ghazali actually makes this point in the Ihya. He says that he says that there's a problematic element of our culture today where sometimes we create this social obligation of giving gifts. Whether a person can afford to give the gifts or not. The Prophet ﷺ taught us, that it is only permissible for you to take from someone's wealth if they willingly give it to you. We have these very problematic elements of our culture today where we create these social obligations and expectations where there's like this um, expectation, this obligation of having to give a gift. And if he specifically mentions Sometimes when people come back from a journey, they have to distribute gifts, otherwise they're afraid that they'll be criticized. Right? All the Desi people are thinking about weddings, right? Somebody gets married, and your cousin's aunt's neighbor's dog has to get a golden necklace, right? Right? This is stupid, right? That is stupid. And he basically says that, Falaya Juzu. He says, in that scenario, in that situation, if it's one of those situations where you kind of know, that you're creating hardship on people through these social weird customs and rituals and creating hardship on people. He said is it, it is, that is the only scenario where it would actually be admirable to not accept the gift. To not accept it. To take a stand to kind of protest this silly expectation that you put on people where people fall into debt People go into debt and tell the person that you mean no offense by this, but you're trying to break up this racket. You're trying to put an end to this nonsense. 
and he says wa'lam anna akhlaqahu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa hadiyahu wa siratahu hiya al-mizanu al-akbar the character of the prophet sallallahu the guidance of the prophet sallallahu the life of the prophet sallallahu the life style of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that is the ultimate measuring stick that is our ultimate standard fata'arrada alayha al-ashya'a so whenever something is there, always compare it to the character, the lessons, the morals, the principles of the, the life of the Prophet If it fits in line with what the Prophet taught us, then it's good. And anything that contradicts it, then there's no good in it. Reject it. Right? So it's a bit of a uh, a more, you know, harsher point. It's a bit more of a technical point. But I just thought that it would be very beneficial to be mentioned here. Because this is something that is really problematic and looks like uh, crazy, daisy wedding rituals that have been going on for a thousand years because Imam Ghazali was talking about it. <laughs> may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us all. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us and give us the ability to practice everything we've said and heard. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala adorn us with the akhlaq and the character of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen.